0: Good morning Cornerstone, my name is Matthew and I'll be doing the scripture reading for today which comes from Luke chapter 21 verses 5 to 28. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken." and they will see the Son of Man coming in cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning again, Cornerstone family. It's great to be with you and, again, to together focus on what the Word of God has to teach us. And as we are in the book of Luke, uh, we've chosen to go through this gospel because we want to focus on the words of our Lord Jesus, uh, our risen Lord, because we are followers of Him by faith. And so, therefore, our obedience to His commands is how we worship Him as Lord and how we experience the abundant life He has for us on earth and as a foreshadow of the abundant life we will have for eternity. So today, we're in Luke chapter 21, which was during the last week of Jesus' life, and He's in Jerusalem, and it's before His crucifixion. So he's, He's getting closer and closer to that event, and He knows it. And He regularly went to the temple that was in Jerusalem, to, in their courts to teach the, the crowds of people that would gather there. Of course, he was a popular teacher by this point, uh, well-known, and so many people would always be there looking for if, if and when he would come and, and teach more. <clears throat> so Jesus, we see uh, in our text today, uh, was there teaching and answering questions and making observations. For example, right before our text in chapter 21, Jesus uh, observes and points out this poor widow who offers two small copper coins uh, into the offering. And, And he mentions that she gave everything on which she had to live, which was far greater in God's eyes than the huge amounts of money that the rich were putting into the offering. And so our text then begins with some people uh, speaking about the temple and making observations of how beautifully it's adorned. And, and after they are talking like this, Jesus then responds or adds to the conversation by predicting uh, how the temple and all the buildings around it will be destroyed. Not one stone left on another. Uh, it, it doesn't mean actually that every stone is going to be not left on another, but it's, it's to imply that all these things you, that you see will be rubble, will become rubble. And for us to understand how impactful these words were to the disciples and the people who were there listening to Jesus make this prediction, uh, it would be similar to like if, if we all got together and we did this tour to Washington, D.C., and we were walking around D.C., uh, you know, seeing all the sites. And our tour guide happened to say and make a prediction that you see all these buildings around you, they will be destroyed. They will become rubble. Now, you can imagine how impactful that would be for us, right? Because if the White House and the Capitol building and the Supreme Court uh, were all destroyed as, long, as well as all the museums there and everything, that most likely that means that our country as the United States would be destroyed. Because this is the center of our, our government, and to get to that point of that being destroyed, then naturally we would think our country would most likely be in big trouble, if not destroyed it as well. <clears throat> and so this when you the, the disciples heard these words of Jesus, they were impacted deeply because not only... Would it mean that the temple was destroyed? That means Jerusalem would be destroyed. And the temple especially, it was the center of worship for the nation of Israel. So it even had a deeper significance. Not only the government was gone, but their center of worship. This is where God dwells among them. So there's no way that the temple would be destroyed without the nation of Israel being demolished. So the Temple of the Lord and the surrounding buildings, just to give us a scope of the magnificence of this, of what Jesus was saying, um, included this, what was known as the Castle of Antonia, as you can see here in the picture. And this was attached to the temple site on its northern side. You see, King Herod had built this uh, for his friend Mark Anthony. And all these buildings were very large rock structures. The temple, the palace, the, 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 the colonnade that around the temple area. They were huge rock structures and so very difficult to cause to become rubble. I mean, it would take a lot of effort to tear down these buildings. And the disciples then, believing Jesus, wanted more information about this prediction. And verse 7, they say, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now notice, they were not questioning uh, if what Jesus said was true or not. No, they were more interested in when these things would happen and what signs of when they would be getting close for it to happen. So Jesus responded to this question by commanding them. He says, see that you are not led astray. Now, I'm going to stop here and focus on this word see, you know, S-E-E in the English, because the Greek word that corresponds or has been translated to this, see, Greek is the original language in which the New Testament was written. That Greek word means more broadly rather than just see with eyes like English, but it means to be aware of, to watch out for, to pay attention to. And this is like what we would shout to people who are in danger. It's in that kind of uh, sense. Like if on a snowy day we are observing and this car seems to be starting to slide out of control toward a pedestrian who's unaware of them being in the line uh, path of this out-of-control car, we would yell out, watch out, you know. It's in that sense. Or it'd be like uh, this idea of see would be like if there's a crowd and some ball was hit and it was going in the air toward the crowd. What would we yell? We would yell, heads up, you know, watch out. And so literally, we're saying to lift their heads up and their eyes up so that they could see what was coming their way. This is what Jesus means when he says, see that you are not led astray. You know, all of Jesus' words in our text today is in a sense a heads up to his followers of what is coming their way. And it's for them then, and it is still applicable for us today. So this command, see that you are not led astray, was a warning, a warning to be alert, to be watchful, alert against deceivers claiming to be the Messiah, Jesus goes on to say in uh, the text, let me read that for us. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. You know, in my 54 years of life, I have heard people say both of these statements uh, I am he. The Messiah was what was said by David Koresh in the early 1990s. And then the time is at hand uh, has been claimed about, I'd say, once or twice every decade of my life, at least that I knew of. Uh, I remember during my college years, a friend of our our family wrote a note and taped it to our door, which we found when... We get back from work. And he wrote in there that Jesus is coming back soon. And so and he gave us a specific date. I think this was 1988. And, and he gave us a specific date. He said he packed up his bags. He was moving to somewhere else. And we better do that too. Um, something more recent is the example of Christian radio uh, host, uh, Harold Camping on um, Family Radio. It was here in New Jersey as well who stated that the rapture and the Judgment Day would take place on May 21st, 2011, and then the end of the world would happen five months later in October. Well, of course, it didn't happen. Jesus responded to his disciples' question by then predicting that they would be persecuted. And then he predicted the destruction of Jerusalem, which would be no surprise because he already predicted the destruction of the temple. And then he, interestingly, goes on to predict his second coming, which is very interesting for us today. So verses 5 through 24 of our text focus on mainly, though they they have some uh, points to also his second coming, but mainly on the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And then we see in verses 25 through 28, we see the signs of that he describes of his second coming. So Jesus warned that before this destruction of the temple and Jerusalem took place, that his followers would be handed over to Jewish leaders and Gentile leaders and persecuted on the account of their faith in him. Now the apostles later, we know, experienced this as we see in Acts chapter 5. And Jesus also said they would be brought before governors and um, kings as witnesses. And we know from Acts chapter 24 and 25 that the Apostle Paul um, witnessed before two different Roman leaders. And later, uh, it seems to indicate that he also got a chance to witness even to Caesar himself. Now, Jesus went as far as saying, you'll be hated for all, I mean by all for my name's sake. See, great persecution broke out against Christians in different parts of the Roman Empire and and actually continued for centuries following the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it wasn't just up until the destruction of Jerusalem, but it went on and on for centuries after that. Jesus said that this persecution, though, would be opportunity to bear witness for His name and His glory. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus gave his followers a heads up about what is coming their way. He explained that the persecution that they would endure would be actually an opportunity to witness for his name and his glory. And this same principle still applies to us today. Uh, If we ever face persecution for the name of Jesus, because we are follower of Jesus. That opportunity will be an opportunity for us to bear witness about Jesus, and especially in how we respond to the persecution that comes our way. You see, God used persecution um, of His people to actually spread the, the knowledge of Him throughout the world. Uh, he's been doing this uh, from the very beginning, it seems. And think of stories from the Hebrew scriptures of like Joseph, um, of people like that Jewish servant girl, of Naaman, who was a um, Syrian general, like um, people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then later on, uh, a little later on, is Esther and Mordecai. All these I've just mentioned were facing persecution but then used that situation they were in to spread the name and glory of the Lord God among their persecutors. So heads up, brothers and sisters, for the book of Revelation even in chapter 13 goes on and speaks of a time that will come when followers of Jesus will be specifically targeted and killed unless they worship the beast and its image. So if we don't worship the beast and its image, we will be targeted to be killed. And this also, though, will be opportunity for us to witness for the name of Christ Jesus and spread the knowledge of Him worldwide when that time comes. But may God give us endurance and faithfulness during those times. Jesus went on to predict in Luke chapter 21, verse 20, saying, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. So we know from history that about 40 years after Jesus spoke these words, uh, in 70 AD, the Gentile armies of Rome surrounded Jerusalem. And that was the desolation that Jesus was talking about. Because we know that um, from history, God had protected Israel in miraculous ways time and time again. But Jesus' statement here in Luke makes it clear that He is warning His followers to flee to the mountains because God would not protect Israel this time. In verse 21, Jesus says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. So the, we know the Roman armies utterly destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. They had uh, surrounded Jerusalem and put it under siege for five months and, and slowly took control of the city of Jerusalem piece by piece. And then before the total destruction of the temple, the military leader of Rome, Titus, even entered into the innermost room of the temple to just see what it looked like. And then they destroyed it. So the desecration and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was totally complete, just as Jesus foretold. And the Jewish historian Josephus gives us uh, some insight and uh, knowledge of how destructive that was. Uh, He estimated 1.1 million Jews were killed at that time, and then 97,000 were enslaved. And then he went on to say that thousands of of those people enslaved were forced to become gladiators who later died in the arena. Jesus said in verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now here Jesus mentioned a time uh, in which Jerusalem is under the authority of Gentiles. And the time of the Gentiles actually began when the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, with the Empire of Babylon in 586 B.C., then attacked and destroyed Jerusalem. And it continued until recently the United Nations partitioned land for the nation of Israel in 1948. And then from 1948 until now, Israel, the nation, has been uh, its own authority. But there is some debate On whether or not the time of the Gentiles is actually over yet because Jerusalem and the temple area is the focus of Jesus's prediction and Jerusalem if you know of the partition that originally was made uh, Jerusalem was not under the control of Israel it was a special area and it is still in the great debate so there is debate whether the time of the Gentiles is actually officially over or not Only God knows, right? But then, interestingly, Jesus goes on to share, after talking about the destruction of this region and specifically the temple, he goes on to share signs of his second coming, saying, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. This metaphorical imagery is frequently used in the Hebrew Scriptures. In such kind of language, reveals that God is like, about to enter into history to do something mighty and powerful. And the signs of the Son of Man's coming are cosmic here. Right, They're worldwide in nature. They're not focused on a region like Jesus had been predicting before this in reference to Jerusalem. But this is for all the world, all peoples of the world, And at that time, we will know, as Jesus describes, there will be much fear in the world about what is coming. But Jesus encouraged his followers saying, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. You see, this is an encouragement and and it gives us hope and confidence when we start to see these signs that are happening. We are not to be fearful because we know then the second coming of our Lord is drawing near. In the midst of the crisis, when things can't go any worse than they are, it seems, followers of Jesus can take heart, because we know what is coming. And we can straighten up, we can raise our heads with confidence and hope in our Lord Christ, because His redemption is drawing near. Now you may be thinking, okay... When we get closer to Jesus' second coming and the signs we can see, I can this makes sense, but what about for my life right now? What does this mean? Well, the answer is in Jesus' command back in verse eight of our text, right? "See that you are not led astray. Heads up, watch out that you are not led astray. This is Jesus saying to us today, "Beware <laughs> of the stuff that's going to come, and especially those who will try to deceive us. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 also encourages us, saying, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position. Heads up! Watch out! You know, when I think of Jesus' second coming, it really motivates me on how I am to live. Uh, Well, let's ask you, what motivates you in life? Is it that Jesus is Lord and Savior? Do you trust that He is your Lord? And do you expect and anticipate His second coming? Is that what motivates your life now? Or is it something else? What really motivates us to live? Every day. There's a story of a 300-pound man who told his pastor, you know, I'm so depressed and I I can't get any dates with women. I've tried everything to lose weight. And the pastor said, I I think I can help. Um, Get dressed like you're going to exercise and be ready at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. And so... The next morning, uh, a beautiful woman in, in very tight exercise uh, clothing uh, knocked on this man's door. And he opened the door, and he saw her. And, and she said to him, If you can catch me, you can date me. And off she went, running. And so this guy huffed and puffed and you know, ran after her, but you know, of course couldn't catch her. Well, this routine went on every day, 8 a.m., uh, for five months and this man lost 115 pounds. And so he knew the next day he would be able to catch this woman and date her. So he was ready, and at 8 a.m., he whipped open his door, but then in front of him was this 300-pound woman who said to him, Oh, the pastor told me that if I can catch you, I can date you. And so the man took off running, (laughs) and she huffed and puffed and went after him. Yeah, it's a funny story, but it gets to the point that we all need some incentive that motivates us to follow or pursue whatever it is. And does the second coming of our Lord Jesus uh, and all that is behind that in the sense that His judgment of the world, uh, His redemption of those who believe in Him and have followed Him in our lives, Does that motivate us to live with our heads up and the confidence we have in Him and His promises? Or is there something else really motivating you and me? We really need to consider this because that really tells us where our hearts truly lie. We may think and call ourselves followers of Jesus, but do we really follow Jesus or not? And the second coming really brings this out. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus stated very clearly, saying, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. You know, we don't actually know the exact day of Jesus' return. We can't predict it like so many people try to do. It could be this afternoon. It could be tomorrow. It could be 50 years from now. It could be next year. We don't know. But not knowing... Should keep us prepared. Um, we keep our heads up while we wait and look and anticipate his second coming. I mean, it makes me think, uh, for example, of the two types of professors I had in college. Um, the most common professor type of professor was the kind that would, you know give us regular homework and then would schedule and let us know in the syllabus when the dates of the tests that were coming would be, and we would study and prepare for them. That was the most common. But then there was this other type of professor, very uh, not so common. These are the professors that we didn't necessarily like that much because they would give us regular homework, but they would tell us that they like to give us surprise tests. They wouldn't tell us when they are. And so we ended up having to be prepared all the time for whenever the tests would pop up. And what we found out, though, is when we had the final exam we actually didn't have to study that much because we were so prepared already we were prepared is our heart prepared for jesus if he were to return tomorrow are we anticipating him returning and really living as if he is lord of our lives now if we keep if if we are keeping our heads up and have this confidence and our eyes fixed on Jesus, then we will be prepared. And, and we don't even have to, as Jesus said, think about what we're going to say if we're arrested in His name's namesake uh, and brought before a judge at trial. No, He will give us the words to say, He said in Luke twenty one fifteen. Are we prepared and ready and living in anticipation of Jesus' return? You see, anticipation of his return shapes the way we act and decide to live. It truly does. I mean, just like in anticipation of graduating, we look for a job. Or in anticipation of a test, we study. Or in anticipation of a date, we clean ourselves up. Or in anticipation of retirement, we save, and we invest in preparation for that time. See, anticipation shapes our actions, and it is our motivation then. So we don't know when Jesus is coming back exactly. We do have the signs to look for. Are you living with anticipation of His return as Lord and Judge of the world, Will Jesus find us ready if he came tomorrow? I end today with the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. He said, So be prepared, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Just as man can prevent trouble from thieves by keeping watch for them, so you can avoid trouble by always being ready for my unannounced return. Heads up! Live with confidence and hope and our return of our Lord Jesus as we look forward to our redemption, which is drawing near. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come back soon, we pray. For Lord, we know and anticipate the wonderful blessings that you have promised us through faith in you, through dedicating our lives to you, through offering up everything we have to you and for your purpose on earth. Lord, we pray that as your church here at Cornerstone, we would be faithful in obedience to your call to make disciples, to, to spread your knowledge and your name through the lives that you have ordained for us, and that you would become known through us, that we would be your witnesses to the world, and whether it be through um, sharing your blessings with others, or even during times of persecution and injustice that is done to us because of your name, Lord, we pray that we would see every opportunity, everything is your opportunity to share the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, put this in our hearts and minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's great to be with you again and I look forward to our next time, and especially being with you in person someday in the near future. We'll let you know when that comes closer. Our redemption is drawing near.